great to see everybody again today. And for those that are watching online, welcome to you. Looking forward to digging into God's Word once again from the book of Hosea. Last week I read through chapter 4 and verses uh, 1 through 19. We're going to be spending a lot of time still in chapter 4. But since I read that last week, I think maybe I'll go ahead and read the the remainder of this section, which is chapter 5 through verse 3 of chapter 6, because we'll be spending some time in that passage as well. So if you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, Hosea chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Hear this, O priests, pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds Do not permit them to return to their God, for the fear of whoredom is within them, and they know not Yahweh. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek Yahweh, but they will not find him. He is withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with Yahweh, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields." Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at beth We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I will make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know Yahweh. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers as the spring rains that water the earth. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please do be seated. By way of review from last week, I'm actually going to turn to the book of Jeremiah, where some very similar themes are spoken of as to what we are seeing here in the book of Hosea. You, for those of you that were with us last week, we spent some time talking about the elements of ignorance. What does 
ignorance of God look like, of not knowing him. And what we saw in Hosea was that there was no faithfulness, no reliability. There was no loyalty uh, unto the Lord. Uh, And that came down to not having an experiential knowledge of God. Really, really uh, knowing him through personal encounter, not just an intellectual assessment or comprehension. Um, the, the Israelites had plenty of mental knowledge about God, but they were not living in the light of that knowledge at all. They were acting essentially, as, uh, for all intent and purposes, as practical atheists, as if God really didn't exist except for some, something you gave uh, some, a token nod to. And we noted that that lack of knowledge on their part was demonstrated by showing no regard uh, for his law, by disobeying his uh, revealed will, um, not seeking to know him, refusing to know him, in fact, forgetting who he really is, showing more regard for human desire than for divine law. They were satisfied with other gods. They, they were treasonous, treasonous against their covenant obligations. And that this was not an isolated case in Hosea's day is seen in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, where we read in verses 6 and verses six and 7, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit, they refuse to know me, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them, for what else can I do because of my people? We're exploring the thought that the greatest of crimes against God is to not know Him. Uh, to find pretense that we don't have the means to know Him, as some do, the agnostic view. Uh, it's impossible to know Him, which is a lie. And there are those that look around and see um, evidence of His hand everywhere, and they attribute all of that power and that wisdom and that glory to gods of their own devisings, which is also a lie known as idolatry. And Israel had fallen into this, even though they were the, the people of God by covenant. They were breaking their covenant and uh, letting it be uh, um, basically that uh, it, within, their, within their society... They, they gave the nod to those that were no gods, pretended as if their God did not truly exist, even though they mouthed him on their lips. We've already seen some verses like that uh, already today. So here Jeremiah is saying, all right, because I'm in covenant, right? What else can I do because of my people? They are my people, um, he is not abandoning those who are wickedly um, rebelling against him. But he is going to bring punishment. He is going to refine and test his people. And that's what Hosea, now in chapter 5, and well, it continues on in 4 and 5, uh, is speaking of. It's looked at what it means to not know God And now we're going to be looking at the punishment that's involved for that ignorance. 
So back in chapter 4 and verse 3, we read this. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. Also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, even the fish of the sea, are taken away. Israel would know judgment upon the land. And Now, I want you to think for a moment about why that is significant. We're not used to thinking of it in, in, uh, in those terms here. Even, you know, we're, we're used to the land of plenty, right? Even though you know, we've seen in recent days, have we not, with supply chain shortages and how that all works down the, the, uh, uh, the whole system of how we get our food, how we get our goods and all that sort of thing. Um, even in our, in our land, even though we don't live in the promised land, uh, nonetheless, we have uh, a great deal of, of uh, things like drought and um, uh, other things that just interfere with the food supply. And I expect that those things will continue unless, some, uh, unless there's some significant changes as we go along. Things like drought, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. I'm sure you've followed what's gone on um, back in Kentucky and Arkansas with the tremendous uh, tornadoes that have uh, wreaked uh, such havoc there and death among, uh, among the people there. But this should not really surprise us. Now, in Israel, it certainly shouldn't have surprised them because uh, it's built into the Mosaic Covenant uh, that if they walked in obedience, the land that God gave them would be fruitful. They would have everything that they needed. But if they walked in disobedience, uh, they would um, they would struggle <laughs> to feed themselves. You're going to excuse me a second. I'm sorry about this, particularly for Marcella's sake. I've got to turn the Wi-Fi back on because the cellular is, it's, the broadcast is being interrupted about every 20 seconds. Hold on. Try to do it without the Wi-Fi on for her sake because it helps her, but hopefully this will not be too debilitating. All right. So the for Israel, it should become no. It should have come as no surprise that they were having trouble feeding themselves, that their crops, their beasts, uh, everything else would be suffering. But it goes beyond just the covenant with Israel. It, what if we go all the way back to Genesis at the fall? What was one of the one of the outcomes, the results of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden? It was the very curse upon the created order that God had made, represented there by thorns and thistles, um, and the hardship that would now come in order to bring food out of the earth. So that curse came. And in Romans chapter 8, what do we read there about the earth and its attitude towards man's sin? The earth groans. Uh, and travails uh, up to present because of sin. The sin of mankind, which, you know, when you and I sin, we might think, well, it just only affects me. But it doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. And indeed, there is an ongoing 
cumulative effect of the sinfulness of mankind upon our every part of the environment in which that we live both by misuse by inability and by just out and out um, um, taking advantage of the land without uh, 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 any consideration whatsoever of the master of that land. And so, you know, if you want to, uh, you want to be a proper environmentalist, serve your king rightly, and you will care for the land that he gave you. That's bottom line. Um, the current environmentalist movement, as is, as it's generally put forward has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with, oh, yes, it does, actually. It's called making the creator, the created things God rather than honoring the God who made it. And, of course, that will accomplish absolutely nothing, really, in the long run, except to drive uh, the curse even deeper into the ground, literally speaking. So they were experiencing judgment upon the land. But there was also judgment upon the leaders that were coming. Look at chapter 4 and verse 5. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Now what is he talking about there? You will stumble by day. Why is that um, a judgment statement? Well, in the daylight, what, what do you expect in the daylight to be able to do? This is one of those duh things, right? Go ahead. Somebody say it. See. You expect to see. You expect to see where your feet are landing so you don't stumble. So God is saying, you're going to stumble in the daytime. When you think you've got your feet under you, when you think you can see your way clear, you're going to stumble. And the prophet who you think is going to bail you out in the times when you can't see at night, he's not going to be able to help you either. You're going to stumble because he's going to lead you astray. And God is saying, I'm going to do that to you. You're not going to have any guidance. You're not going to have any certainty in where you're going because those in leadership um, that uh, are before you are going to be unable to lead the way. And uh, chapter 5 and verse 1, um, Hear this, O priest, give attention to the house of Israel, the house of the king, the judgment is for you. You've been a snare. You, the leaders, those who should know better, the kings were supposed to do something with the law of Moses. And you, many of you would probably remember what that was. When they became king, they were supposed to write it down. The entire Torah, they were to be writing down upon assuming their office. Their own copy. So that they could have no excuse uh, regarding uh, their knowledge of whose servant they actually were. And uh, I, we don't uh, really have any record of any of them doing that. Not even David. I don't know, that doesn't mean he didn't do it. But just, there's nowhere in the scriptures that say, oh, and so-and-so, after he wrote out the law, did thus and so. Um, what you see, even in the good kings later on, they, they, like Josiah or Hezekiah, they, they find the scroll, they find the record buried in a pile somewhere in the king's treasure house and go, oh, we haven't been doing this. Uh, 
So uh, the, the judgment was going to come upon the leaders. In, in Lamentations, the, uh, Jeremiah cries out, Her gates have sunk into the ground, speaking of Jerusalem. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations, speaking of exile. The law is no more, as in the whole mosaic economy and all of the rituals and everything else that went along with worship there. And her prophets find no vision from Yahweh. This judgment of, upon those who thought that they had everything that they needed, who thought that they had all of the law and the prophets. So, you know, what else do we need? We've got it all together. Everybody else needs to listen to us. And the Lord is saying, you don't have it all together. You're, you, you're, your mouths are full of me, but your hearts are empty, and you're walking your own way, and I'm going to take away even the light that you think you have. You know, when you look around, not just this country, but around the world, I, I would guess, I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess that the publishing of Bibles and Christian literature is, is certainly, if not at an all-time high, it's got to be pretty close. There are publishing houses everywhere, there are Christian bookstores everywhere. The, uh, the shelves are full with all kinds of helps, and uh, whether it's commentaries or Bible translations or language helps, you name it. There's all kinds of things. And then you get to the Internet, and it's like almost not quite infinite, but it seems that way. There's, you, you, you will, in your lifetime, you will never exhaust the knowledge that is there. And so there's a part of us that wants to say, isn't that great? It's wonderful. Isn't that an evidence of God's blessing? Well, I guess in one way you could say that. But I think in another way, looking at this kind of passage, I wouldn't be too confident in that viewpoint. Because just because there's a lot of people talking doesn't mean that God is present. Certainly in Israel's case, the judgment was, there's lots of people talking. But God is saying, I'm not in it. And I would dare say, I'm feeling even more confident about this statement. I would dare say that, that I'll just say much of what is on Christian bookstore shelves isn't worth the paper it's printed on. There's the token acknowledgement, there's all sincerity, but when it comes to actual real truth that's bound by the scriptures, it's uh, more of a rarity than the norm. Now, I don't want us to, to get uh, you know, up on our high horse and think how proud we are that we've discerned um, truth from error when the rest of the, the minions haven't. Okay? But just to acknowledge the, the fact that just because there's lots of people talking doesn't mean God is. And we need to take these words that were spoken to Israel through Hosea to heart. And to really examine, are we, truly, are we really walking in ignorance of God? Are we just giving lip service? There's judgment. You could almost say that full bookstore shelves are a judgment. 
Do you think there's any confusion in the Christian world as to what truth is? Here's a prophet here, here's a prophet here, here's an author here, here's an author here. How do you know what's right? How do you know what's true? Everybody's got their opinions. It sounds great. Now what do I do with that? Come to somebody else that's contradictory. Which one's true? How do we know? The Church of Jesus Christ is in utter confusion today. Utter confusion. I saw a statistic the other day that something like, um, I don't now. This is off the top of my head, memory-wise, so I didn't plan to think about this statistic. But it was either only 18 percent, or uh, believe that uh, uh, believing in in God is essential to being a Christian, or um, you know, 18 percent of the Christian world doesn't believe that and still wants to call themselves Christian. Whatever the statistic is, you go to any, even professedly Bible-believing church in the land, and you start asking questions about even basic theological things, and people don't know. They just don't know. Uh, or they've got all they've got really squirrely ideas because there's just they're they're doing their best to try to figure stuff out, but there is so much. Like, how do you know? How do you know what's true? And we have to keep coming back to God's word, but that is something that uh, that many professing believers don't think is important at all. And this starts with the leadership of of the churches, of God's people. Uh, certainly, that's that's a focus here in the book of Hosea. That the people that they're that the the uh, the leaders that the people are looking to for guidance are unable because of God's judgment upon them. It doesn't just stop with the leadership. There's also judgment upon uh, relationships, or if you want uh, an L word to go with leaders. Um, the, the basic, you know, the, the, that, the, the popular song from many years ago, you know, all we need is love. All you need is love. It's like love, 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 love. Yep, the world wants love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, and et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum, okay? When the world doesn't have a clue about what real love is, and yet all too often among the church, that understanding of what genuine love is is also lost, and that judgment is spoken of here. Um, in chapter 4, verse 6, um, the second half of that verse since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. There's, there's a, a judgment upon this love relationship between God and his people and their, and their progeny. God will reject the, the children of those who are walking in rebellion against him. Uh, again, shouldn't come as a surprise from the Ten Commandments, right? The Lord visits the iniquity of those uh, who rebel against him under the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, he says. There's that judgment. Then just in human relationships in general, verses 13 and 14, speaking of daughters playing the whore, brides committing adultery, uh, men going aside to prostitutes, cult prostitutes, men, people being without understanding, 
all these these human relationships that you would expect purity and honesty and integrity and faithfulness are all broken and all that is doing is reflecting this lack of knowledge of God. A failure to acknowledge that he's king, that he's Lord, that he's set up the parameters the way that he wants, not according to what we want. And human beings then start looking for joy and pleasure where they shouldn't. And rather than that being, oh, that's a temporary pleasure of sin, is it, as uh, it's described in the book of Hebrews, but ultimately it leads to destruction. It's a judgment. Because for every one of these um, people that are spoken of generally here in verses 13 and 14, daughters, brides, husbands, on the, you know, they are the ones committing the acts of immorality and unfaithfulness, and yet on the other side of that, where the judgment comes upon those that are left behind in, in, in sorrow, in brokenness, and in hopelessness and despair even though they may not have been committing all these things, they're experiencing it. It's part of God's judgment because as a whole, the nation of Israel had abandoned their God and really truly knowing him. They refused to know him. They rejected him. They, they, they set out to forget him, according to the Lord himself here. And the Lord said, there's a consequence for that. All those other things that you're trusting in as solid, as as you know, you you come home to your castle and you expect that that there's a certain degree of of stability and comfort and trust there. That's all gone. Certainly, we see uh, that you know, Israel experienced that. Um, every human society, ours included, when we pretend that God doesn't exist, our families and our society fragment. And all those those relationships that we look to for comfort and and uh, foundation are taken away. In verse sixteen, God says, "I'm going to uh, basically I'm going to turn away from you. I'm I'm going to abandon you um, for a time. We'll get to that. But um, he says, "I in verse fifteen, I'll return again to my place." Oh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 15. I'll return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. So for a time, the Lord says, all right, you want to go that way? Fine. It's like Romans chapter 1. God, looking at the hearts of those who are rebelling against him, basically sealed them in their doom. Speaking to the world at large. Here to Israel, his covenant people, he says, and this is in accord with the curses that were mentioned by Moses in Deuteronomy and throughout the Torah, you turn your back on me, I will turn my back on you until you repent, and then I will restore you. That's a judgment that comes upon them. And even human alliances will fail, as we've, we've, uh, we've seen already uh, with marriages and uh, holiness in relationships. All these, uh, these relationships where love and comfort and promise are supposed to reign supreme will fail because of judgment for sin. 
But now maybe, maybe the answer is going to be, let's, uh, we just need to get back in church. There's a popular Christian song out now about just about go to church. Maybe some of you have heard that before. Um, and it's as far as far as it goes, it's fine. You know, it's, it's speaking about you know the church is a place where you're going to find comfort, you're going to find the Lord, and you find uh, a blessing in His Word, and so on. Though it's 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 expressed and stated in a much more casual and informal way in the song, but nonetheless. That's the idea. I was, and it's kind of the premise of the whole thing of the singers. I was raised this way, and then I kind of went astray, and now I need to go back to church. And I would say, yes, that's true. Go back to church. Uh, it, uh, it, it's, it, that's not a bad thing. However, take a look at what happens when you are walking uh, in rebellion against God, and He judges you, a place where you would hope and expect that if you return to it, you will find comfort, you will find peace, you will find answers. They're not going to be there for you. Judgment upon those relationships. Uh, yeah. Judgment upon the leaders. Judgment upon the land. It's going to be judgment upon your religious observances as well, or if you prefer, your liturgy. Stu, in introducing uh, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, commented that that particular text came from a particular liturgy, the Liturgy of St. James, which is from the 5th century. Well, liturgy is just a, an order of worship. It's the, 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 the structure and the elements that all come together in a certain way to help God's people worship the Lord. Everybody has a liturgy. Even people that are super, super informal think, I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want any of that formality stuff. It's like, well, do you sing? Yeah. Do you pray? Yeah. Do you listen to the word? Yeah. You got a liturgy, All right? That's you. You may be leaving some things out, uh, but nonetheless, that's your liturgy. That's your form of worship. And whether it's super formal or super informal, uh, let's let's assume that all the proper elements are there for a moment. That's a big assumption, but let's let's assume that that's the case whether it's formal or informal, is irrelevant. They were trusting in their religious observances as their, their uh, safety pod, if you will, their, their, uh, their plan B. If things go wrong, at least I got my liturgy here and God won't abandon me. Well, look again at verse 6 of chapter 4. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Who is he speaking to? Is he speaking to the high priest here? No, he's not. He's not. He uh, is is uh, talking. Verse one tells it really, uh, just puts it right out there. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. He's speaking to Israel as his representative in the earth. Israel loves the idea of being God's holy chosen people that stood as his representatives before the earth. As a priest, 
And what were the duties of a priest? To intercede for and help others draw close to God. What was the pattern of the nation of Israel regarding that? Zip, by and large. We were talking about this a little bit last week. Had a conversation with someone about this uh, already this week. And here's another indication of what, uh, of what, how God viewed Israel and their role between him and the rest of the world. And they, what did he say? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge. They're, they were bringing destruction upon their own people and denying the dissemination of God's truth to the nations. And so he says, I'm going to take you out from being the priest to me. This goes right along with what we see in, in the New Testament as well, where Israel is plucked up for a time, pruned, cut off, and in order to provoke them to jealousy and to return, the Lord starts grafting in the Gentiles without having to go through Israel first, which, which is a bypass of the Noahic Covenant, in terms of the Noahic Covenant. You remember the eldest of Noah's sons, Shem, through whom the Israelites came. Then uh, Ham was number two. Would, Ham would be demoted because of his sin. Japheth, the youngest, um, is the nations. Well, Ham is as well. But Japheth is the, the promise to Japheth is a, is a beautiful one. God's, God's promises are primarily going to come through the line of Shem. But Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem. So it's important to recognize that place of the covenant people in the, econo- in the, in the salvation economy. However, because of Israel's sin against God and rejection of their Savior, the Lord says, all right, I'm going to cut you out for a time. I'm, I'm going direct. No more middleman. Which I, I've spent um, a fair amount of time uh, having interaction with uh, Orthodox Jews in New York City. And uh, on one occasion, we, uh, the ministry I was working with at the time, we, we, had, we set up, we had a street preaching kind of ministry in the garment district. And he set up uh, uh, scale, though most of them were, were uh, true to scale, uh, models of the furnishings of the temple, the tabernacle. And we had these set up out there. And uh, needless to say, it caused a lot of conversations to arise because these folks were coming over, particularly the really strict Hasidic Jews were coming over and going, what are you doing with our stuff? And then it was an opportunity to talk to them about how each of those things spoke to worship and prayer and honoring the Lord and, and actual access unto God and what that was for. And some, some uh, listened with interest. Others got really 
upset because this was their stuff. It doesn't belong to you. And it's like, yeah, yeah it does. Because if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But like a lot of us, we can think, you know, we got, we've got the truth and it shall die with us. And have that attitude toward others. And let others go their merry way while we uh, gratify ourselves that we have dodged the bullet because of our wisdom. Well, the Lord says, nope, your liturgy is not going to cut it. I'm going to relieve you of your responsibility. I'm going to go direct. Um, in Exodus chapter 19, uh, the Lord had told Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And they took that, I think, as we might as well, think, well, we're priests, you know, to each other. But they were there as God's representatives to the rest of creation. And the Lord said, nope, uh, you're done with that for a time. And that's just sort of the big overarching issue. In verses 8 and 9, you have uh, more um, condemnation upon the actual leaders of the people. They're they're, 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 they feed on the sin of my people. They're greedy for their iniquity. It shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. The leaders, uh, Israel had come to have a nation of leaders that just preyed upon them, took advantage of them. We see that uh, spoken of in a number of places throughout the prophets, not just here in the book of Hosea. And indeed, Jesus would, would uh, condemn the Pharisees of his day, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, because they were there to just, they, they were taking advantage of the people for their own position and power and wealth. And basically saying, you're blind guides, leaders of the blind, and uh, you make people twice the sons of hell that you are because of your hypocrisy. What a condemnation. And yet, we look around today and how many uh, religious leaders of all kinds of, of religious traditions get called on the carpet for, oh, $800,000 stuffed in the walls of their church. You know, um, and yet the people keep buying the books. They keep going out to those bookstores and buying all this junk. And think for all they're reading, they're ever reading, ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. This is God's judgment upon those who claim his name. And the, unfortunately, the testimony that goes out is a confused one at best, if that is maintained. And yet for all of their love of sinning, they're not going to... The Lord's not going to let them find any satisfaction in it. That's verse ten of chapter four. Uh, you just uh, you're going to you're going to want to sin. You're not going to you're going to play the whore but not multiply. Uh, you you want to go after wine and new wine, which take away the understanding, as if that's going to give you any satisfaction or joy. It's God's judgment. And ultimately, chapter 5 and verse 6, uh, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. 
just kind of comes along and in the presence of God. This is about public worship, right? But uh, that's going to be, it's just empty. It doesn't reach God. With their flocks and their herds, they'll go to seek him, but they will not find him. He's withdrawn from them. That's verse 8. The empty ritual just doesn't cut it. Or, sorry, verse 6. Can't see this morning. And this judgment will be complete. It will come quickly. Look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Um, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Basically, what is that? It's like, don't talk to him about it? No. It's basically, he's so far gone, just let it go. Lest when you, you grab him as he's going over the cliff, you get swept over the edge with him. Just let it alone is another way to translate that. The judgment's coming. It's, it's on the doorstep. Um, and Israel would experience that when they were carried away into captivity. Uh, chapter 4, verse 19. A wind has wrapped them in its wings. They shall be ashamed of their sacrifices. What is wind often associated with in the Old Testament especially? And then also you can pull it in the book of Revelation as well. Um, but it's often, re- it's often connected with judgment. And indeed, we have in uh, later on in this book, in chapter 8, verse 7, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The rebellious, he's just going to waste them away in rafts. Uh, the, in Psalm 1, right? The, uh, the, the righteous man is by, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, but the ungodly is not so. It's like chaff that the wind drives away. The Lord is pulling in these, um, this, this, the, the wind imagery uh, from things that they've heard before but have not been paying attention. The Lord will waste them away. Look in um, chapter 5, beginning at 9. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Uh, on the princes of Judah, verse 10, he's going to pour out his wrath like water. Verse 11, Ephraim's oppressed, crushed in judgment because he's pursued filth. Uh, the imagery of I'm like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. I'm going to pester you and waste you away. What do moths do? They come in and they eat. Dry rot corrupts. The Lord's, the Lord instead of saying, instead of being a blessing to you, I am, I'm going to be your worst nightmare because you can do nothing against the judgment that I'm bringing against you. Um, and and uh, they're not going to they're not going to be able to find any help um, if you keep going on there. When uh, they finally go, oh, we're sick, we're wounded, we we need some help. Instead of going to God, what do they do? They go to the king of Assyria. He can't cure you. Um, Lord says, I'm going to be like a lion. I'm going to ravage you until you repent. I will tear and go away. I will carry it off, carry off, and no one shall rescue. And I believe that this verse right here is a foreshadowing of what is to come in the judgment. They are going to be carried off. And they're going to say, oh, Babylon's carrying us off. Assyria's carrying us off. We're being carried off by the wicked. 
The Lord saying, I'm going to carry you off and no one will rescue you. The judgment is from me. Pay attention. Don't go in ignorance. Don't um, think that uh, you can walk in rebellion and not pay the penalty. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek his face and earnestly seek me, the Lord says, you're not going to hear from me for a while. There's a reason that between um, the once that uh, the uh, uh, captivity takes place until we get to um, the, the time of Jesus, that those 400 years are called, uh, it, among other things, but uh, they're basically called the 400 silent years. Now, there were people that tried to write books during that time as if God was actually doing something because they wanted so badly to hear from God. All those books are now, uh, well, many of them are included in what is known as the Apocrypha that um, some other uh, churches use. But they're not inspired of God. Uh, the Lord says, I'm going to be away from you. I'm not going to be talking to you. Um, he would not do so again until, as we sang about in the Song of Zechariah today, until... John, the last of the great prophets, came and actually spoke again on behalf of God, calling Israel to repentance to prepare the way of the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ. So judgment, in a word, that's the consequences for ignorance. Let us not be ignorant. Let us not refuse to know God. Let us not pretend as if he doesn't exist. Let us seek him out with all that we, all that we have and all that we are according to his word and not try to go according to our own understanding I don't think uh, I, I'm, I'm really sure that nobody here wants any of these judgments to come upon us individually as a family as a church certainly as a nation so let us humble ourselves before God and seek to know him whom to know aright is eternal life by God's grace next week we will wrap up uh, this particular section by looking at the first three verses of chapter 6 and see there the cure for ignorance and it's a blessed one particularly a blessed subject particularly as we have our minds kind of in, in gear for thinking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that's there this uh, is uh, most appropriate to think about at this time about what is necessary to really know him and by God's grace we'll look at that next Sunday morning for now let's close in prayer Heavenly Father I thank you for your mercies which are new every morning if they were not renewed every morning Lord we would be hopeless because of our sins from day to day we thank you for your your goodness your patience. Lord, we also tremble before you when we consider the judgments that you wield upon those who rebel against you and walk according to their own way. Lord, preserve us from ourselves. Protect us, Lord, from the, the deceit and the temptations of the evil one and from the temptations that our own hearts 
uh, are able to come up with without any help from the adversary. Lord, let us walk in holiness before you. Let us know you and truly know you in our hearts. And let that be seen in our thoughts, our minds, and our actions, Lord, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.